When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Welcome to Upfront with Andy Gray and me, Sam Matterface. This is the show that takes you into the world of the number nine as we find out what it takes to be a top flight striker. Knocked on for Andy Gray. Oh, what a magnificent strike by Andy Gray. As good a goal as you wish to see. We'll discuss their career-defining goals, the sacrifices they had to make, and that feeling when the ball hits the back of the net. Gray's there again! You're listening to Upfront with Andy Gray and me, Sam Matterface, on TalkSport. My guest today is the former teenage sensation at Dundee United who went on to lead the line with distinction at Aston Villa and then on to Wolves before becoming a hero at Everton where he scored an FA Cup final winning goal. Uh, The European Cup Winners' Cup final also scored in that as well a year later in a year in which Everton also won the title. Uh, subsequently, he forged a career as one of the game's best analysts. Hello, Andy Gray. Samuel, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is right now with you. <laughs> um, the images of you as Everton's number nine are etched in a lot of people's memories. Certainly that's what's etched in my memories. But were you always a number nine? Did you always have the number nine on? Was that sort of like a shirt that you wanted right from the very beginning? Do you know, funny enough, Sam, it wasn't. Um, When I started at Dundee United, um, for some reason as a kid, I always liked the number 10. There was something about that. don't know what it was because Dennis Law was my hero way back there. And Dennis, I think, if I'm right, wore 10, played for Scotland. So I thought when I played football, if I was lucky enough to to get a, a career out of football, I would love to wear 10. And I did, I think, for Jim McLean. Uh, until Jim very quickly said to me, no, sorry, Andy, he says, you're our centre-forward, you will be wearing number nine. And as I wasn't going to argue with Jim McLean, because I was only a baby, and he was my boss and scared me, (laughs) I said, okay, boss, that will do for me. And apart from the odd occasion, I think at Everton, when in our title-winning season, uh, Sharpie, I had been out injured, and when I came back, Sharpie had had the nine, and Adrian Heath had worn eight, and then she got injured. And so when I came back into the side, Sharpie kept nine because he was just banging goals in. Sharp, what a fantastic goal! An unbelievable finish from Graham Sharp. So I wore eight for, I think it was 12 games, Sam. And do you know in those 12 games when I wore eight, I didn't score a goal. I hit the bar, I hit the post, keepers were making great saves. And then one day, Graham got injured against Leicester away before the game. So I started and I took nine and 
We won two one. I got both goals, and I never gave Sharpie the nine back for the rest <laughs> of the season. <laughs> um, what does being the number nine or the centre forward, the striker? It doesn't really matter what number you're wearing, but being the centre, the centre forward, mean to you? How do you see it as a role? Well, I, I think it's a role that's that's changed over the years, and certainly, and certainly in my days, in the seventies and the eighties, even. A nine was a was a, it said, it said something. You just look through history, Sam, at the great clubs through history that have had number nines, uh, and and it means something. Everton were renowned for their number nines way back to Dixie Dean uh, when he was scoring goals left, right, and centre. You look at Newcastle, right up to Shearer, legendary number nines. Malcolm McDonald, number nine. You know, I look at Aston Villa and, and I see the same there. It's it, it was a it was like a number nine was like in the modern terminology it was like a focal point back then he was a guy who who was up there he was a guy who played up against the center backs it was a it was a, an attritional battle sometimes if you didn't stand up and be counted back then as a number 9 you didn't really last very long so was it all about goals for you or was it about helping the team to win it's funny that because you, you'll you'll do a few of these. I know you are Sam, and you'll talk to number nines that purely were about. I think about scoring goals. I, I would say in the modern game, Gary Lineker. You talk to Gary, and I bet you he was all about scoring goals. Yeah. I was. I wasn't. I wanted to score goals, but it, it wasn't the be all and end all for me. It wasn't the most important thing. The most important thing for me was winning the football match, and and if that meant I played okay. And we won three nil or four nil or four three, and I didn't score, but I was, I, but I contributed and maybe laid on a couple. I was happy. I wasn't one of these number nines that was really upset if we won a game and I didn't score. No, I, I loved to score and wanted to score, but it wasn't the be all and end all. I got as much enjoyment from laying somebody on, one of my teammates on, to score a goal at times. I really did. You were the first and for a good 30 years the only winner of the Young PFA Player and Player of the Year mm. in the same mm. season until you were joined by Cristiano Ronaldo. Yes. <laughs> Not bad Not company. Bad company. Not <laughs> in bad 2009. Company, yeah. um, did you appreciate the significance at the time and, and do you think that people appreciate the significance of that now? Do they recognise you as that sort of player? That's how good you were, that you're in that company? Um, listen, Cristiano Ronaldo is Cristiano Ronaldo. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of honoured that, that, that you mentioned him and I in the same sentence there. I, I had a brilliant season then. I didn't recognise the significance of it, if I'm being 100% honest with you, because I wasn't allowed to go because Ron Saunders banned me from, from going. So <laughs> I didn't get to the award ceremony that night. And it's funny because in the modern game, like now, there's no way that the coach would stop the player going there. The player would just go because they have so much power. But back in those days, in, in the mid-70s, when I was told I'd won them, and, and then Ron Saunders, because we had a replay of our League Cup final on the Wednesday, although the presentation was on Sunday night, and I had a bit of an ankle knock, he decided to not to let me go. So I, I never went down. I, I never realised, I don't think, until the first year I went myself to the awards and realised what it was all about and who was all there and all the boys that were there. And really the guys you play against week in, week out, and actually turning around and saying, you know what, you were the best player in the country that year. Now that's something through time that I've become more and more proud of, particularly with a few people who have won it. 
as you say, Ronaldo's next, and then the only other one. He steps up, left-footed, four-man wall, over the wall, into the corner, takes a deflection and goes in, and Gareth Bale is having the best scoring season of his life. Three in three. He's never done it before. He's done it now. So there's only three of us in that, that little group. And it's and, and amazing, though, when you think about it, that a Scott, a Portuguese, and a Welshman have won that, and no Englishman has won it yet, which I found extraordinary. Um, I, I asked Gary Lineker this. For a lot of people, he is a TV presenter. And for yeah. a lot of people, you are the co-commentator, the analyst, the guy uh-huh. we see on, on the television. For, for for a lot of people growing up, that's what you were. They haven't seen you play. Do you like now sure. going back and talking about your own football career to remind people that's actually what you used to do? Well, what's good is that that Kesey is very good at reminding people and 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 just making a point of reminding people that I did have a career. But you're absolutely right. Anyone who's let's take it, anyone who's sort of under forty, Sam probably has very little recollection of me as a footballer, unless at the age is now to ten. So you know that's that's a lot of people that uh, that watch football now and and haven't got a clue what I was like as a footballer. Haven't got a clue what I did. Haven't got a clue what I went how I went about my job then. And you're absolutely right, and, and people just just remember me or look at me and think, oh, that's Andy Gray. Yeah, he used to work at Sky, and he now works in the Middle East. Yeah, he he does that. He co-commentated, and now he's, he does this. He does that. Very few of the young generation know me as a player, and like that can be disappointing at times, but it's understandable. And listen, I don't mind because. You know, the fact of the matter is they still, they still know I'm around and about. And at my age, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's uh, get a couple of quick fire questions away, if I can. Get a sense of sort of who you are and, and what was important to you. What is your favourite goal that you've scored? Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, Sam. <laughs> I put you on the spot now. You have definitely put me on the spot. I mean, the goal that meant something, I think, you know, it was it was, it was a simple goal in many ways, but... The, the first goal in the Cup Winners' Cup final for Everton. Oh, the back pass might come to Sharp. He's got Andy Gray in there. That's the goal! Because of what it meant to the club, the first and only time that we won a, a, a European trophy or the club has won a European trophy, it was the first goal in the game. And although it looks, when you see a simple volley, a simple tap-in after great work by Sharpie, it still had to be done and it was a big occasion, it was a big moment. So that for that for me was one. I think arguably one of the best goals I ever scored was playing for Scotland, funny enough, um, against Portugal at Hamden. I think we beat them 4-1. And I played up front with Kenny, Kenny Dalgleish. And, and I hit this one from about 25 yards, which was unusual in its, in its own. I just left to the goal, 20 yards out, 25 yards out. And I hit this across the keeper into the far top corner off the, off the top of the post and then... Um, I've, I've had very few as good as that and that, that was pretty special Who's your favourite strike partner? <laughs> My favourite partner was had to be Brian Little Oh, and Little is going to score! Oh. He did things I could only dream of doing He was an, a supremely gifted footballer um, deserved more England caps than he got but he could do things Sam, with a football that were just genius-like you know, he was a perfect foil for me because he knew my movements and I knew that if I made a movement in the penalty area, he would find me. And time and time and time again, he did. So uh, without him, 
in my first two or three years at Villa, I I don't think I would have gone on to achieve the kind of things that I did. So the reason that I asked you that is because I read that you enjoyed playing with and thought the most talented player that you'd played with was Sir Kenny Dalgleish. Oh, yes. What was he like to play alongside? Genius. Genius. It was all people used to say, he's, he's ahead of you. you. You know, whatever you're thinking, he's thinking two or three passes further ahead than you are. And he was like that. He was always a move ahead of me or two moves ahead of me and was just telepathic at times. And, you know, people say Dalgleish made Rush or Rush made Dalgleish, sorry, some would say. No, he didn't. Kenny made Rushy. Kenny's supply line to Rushy was just so important for him. And had Kenny not been that man there at the time, then maybe Rushy might not have been as prolific as he was. Kenny was just everything about his touch was magnificent. You know, that big backside of his, the amount of times he used that to create space for himself against defenders. Sam, it was just ridiculous. And, you know, the ball never embarrassed him. I always think, you, you know a, good, a great player when the football arrives at him, they never embarrass with it. It never look, It looks part of their body and it looks part of their movement. Kenny was like that. He saw a pass, he could pick a pass, he could score a goal, he could create a goal. He was just an unbelievably talented footballer. Who was your childhood hero when you were growing up? Who did you look up to and think, oh, I want to be like that guy? Dennis Law. And Hogan in that bunch of and Law, now for Gowling. Still Gowling. Law, and a goal. 2-1. Dennis Law. He was the man. He was just magnificent. And for somebody who liked heading the ball like me, even when I was young, to see Dennis do it was, was just magnificent. Dennis was definitely... My, uh, my my hero and, and they often say you shouldn't meet your heroes but I'm so glad I met Dennis You were a goal scorer right from the, the, the very off weren't you how, how much mm-hmm. were you mindful of the other responsibilities a striker had in those early days because you were a teenager when you come onto the scene at Dundee United 46 goals in 62 league games I mean that is that's quite some return isn't it yeah it was good I mean uh, I I was young I was keen I was raw I was ambitious and I believed that I never believed there was any good I honestly believed, Sam, that every time I walked onto a football pitch, I had to prove myself. Otherwise, I might not get a game next week. And and that is really what I believed for a huge part of my career, no matter where I was. But particularly when I started with Dundee United, um, when Jim McLean put me in the team. Why was that? Because he was got, so demanding? He was very demanding, Jim. But he was also brilliant for me. He used to have one-on-one training sessions two or three afternoons a week on Tanadice pitch. Just me and him teaching me the art of being a centre-forward. He knew I could score. He knew I could finish. But there was more to that than... You needed more than that if you were going to play at you know, a high level. And, and he used to teach me the nuances of being a centre-forward, of how to move, where to move, how I could create some space for myself. And he knew if he could do that for me and create me more opportunities, then he felt that with my, chip, my finishing, which was always pretty good, then I would I would get enough goals to to have a career out of it, and uh, those forty six goals that you talk about were, yeah, they were from a young guy who just was hell bent on scoring. I would I would throw myself at things I maybe shouldn't have done, 
and maybe over the years picked up one or two more injuries than I might have done had I been less keen to score. But looking back, would I have swapped any of the goals I scored for not to? Nah, I'd have taken them all. Give me the knocks. I'll take them. It was a price worth paying for for scoring, that's for sure. What was it like playing for Dundee United and, and Jim in that period? Was it because it, it, was it as much Celtic Rangers dominated as it is now? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, very much so. But uh, working with Jim was brilliant. Jim McLean was a, a young, brilliant mind, in my opinion. And again, like 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 I said to you about Brian Little, Jim McLean, without his tutoring, without his um, selflessness and giving me his time, there's no doubt that the basics he taught me stood me in good stead for the next 10, 15 years. He was fantastic for me, Sam. Demanding, demanding. I mean, I, I saw him bring adults to tears at halftime in the Dundee United dressing room. So you knew that if you weren't doing it, you were going to get it. And because I was young, all I wanted to do was impress him. So I would have ran through a brick wall for Jim. And we had two very good seasons. We got the final of the Scottish Cup to lose to a brilliant Celtic side. The lower one this time. And he came to me in the, the next season. I remember him coming to me in the beginning of my third season, I think it was. And he said to me, um, you have to go. And I says, what? He says, you have to go. He says, I can't do any more for you. He said, if I keep you here, I'm only going to hold you back. And this is when you and, were 19 years of age. Yeah. So what, what did he see in you? That, that Did he see the future in terms of he thought you could go on to become a striker yeah. in the English First Division? I don't know, maybe he just thought that there was more, he obviously thought there was more to come and, and he was probably right in that respect and that Dundee United wasn't really the platform for it and that I had given Jim pretty much everything I'd, I'd, whenever I wanted, I'd, I had injections when he wanted me to have them so I could play. I can remember him when I had a cartilage operation on my right knee and then the three weeks I was out, we, we didn't win a game and I was hobbling about and he said to me, can you play at the weekend? I said, I think so. And I remember him taking me out on the pitch and my knee was like in a right state. It wasn't, hadn't recovered much. And it was a big cup tie coming up. And he's hitting balls with me and I'm controlling him. He said, how is it? I said, well, a little bit sore. He says, a little bit. Well, do you want to play or do you not want to play? I said, well, that's not fair, boss. You know I want to play. It's just whether I can play or not. That's what, well, make your mind up. Come on, you're going to play or you not. And I ended up playing. But he put me under huge pressure to play as, as coaches did in those days. And I didn't want to let him down. So I played, and, and I played a lot in my career when I shouldn't have done. But Jim was, although he was demanding, he was brilliant for me. Brilliant for me. And Gray. Here comes Gray with the first goal. Yes, Andy Gray. What a breakdown that was for Aston Villa. You went on to Aston Villa at this point, and, and you're still young, a young man. You're not even 20 at this point. Were you concerned no. about moving south at, at that age, or, or did you have the confidence, the swagger just to handle it and you know think that you were going to conquer the world? I didn't have a swagger. It was a natural progression um, for a Scot in those days. If he wanted to be a footballer, Sam, they, they came south. That was it. That was just that. That was the journey that any good Scottish footballer in the 70s was making. So I, I was confident enough, but not overly confident because I, I, I still thought I've got to prove to these guys down here. And I didn't know if anyone knew me. 
I mean, Aston Villa then had just been, got promoted from the second division, so it wasn't exactly a team full of household names. But luckily for me, there were two or three, four Scots in it that we became good pals, and I got in the team. Well, I was in the team from minute one and scored pretty early on in, in my career and got the got the thing rolling and ticking over. And and I think my enthusiasm and infectiousness, the boys quite liked, and so I settled in pretty quickly. And because we're a good, really good bunch of guys, really good bunch of guys. You jointly won the Golden Boot in your first full season mm. with twenty nine goals. You say it was it was because you had a great bunch of guys. And um, did the manager play a part in that as well? Yeah, I mean, Ron Saunders was a centre forward, wasn't it? He was an old yeah. fashioned barnstorming centre forward from what would he been fifties? Would he been Sam somewhere like that fifties sixties? Yeah, it would like have that. been the latter part of that decade. Yeah, and he, he was he was one of those that liked physical contact and, and I can remember in, in my first derby I was stood in the halfway line with Joe Gallagher in Birmingham City centre back and I'm watching the the lads defending next minute he's tapped me and spun me around and, and punched me right in the face <laughs> and, I, and I've gone down and I thought what? What is this? What? Is this how it is? And I've looked over and Saunders is indicating you know when you say elbow somebody you know and they, they go like that and they <laughs> yeah. put their elbow up and they say Give him one, give him one. And I'd, I'd never give anybody one in my life like that. I was just a baby. But, I mean, I quickly learned. But Saunders, again, though, he, he did teach me quite a bit, quite a bit about looking after myself physically. But that year, that was at the end of that, the very last game, Sam, when I, I, I got a hat-trick against West Brom at Villa Park to, to join, to go and join with my Malcolm on 29 goals. And you know, there was 10, 15 minutes left of the game and he took me off. Was that, took the, me off. was that the seed in your mind of the eventual fallout? A little bit in many ways, but he took me off and, I, and he says, I said, well, what you, why have you taken me off? He said, well, there was a Scotland trip. We were going away on a, on a South American trip to play in Argentina and Brazil. Can you believe it? At the Maracanã that summer. The Maracanã of all stadiums that a footballer would have wanted to have played in. That would have been right up there. Yeah. And he says, he took me off and he said, listen, I'm going to tell the press you've got a bad ankle and it needs resting. Now, he wasn't thinking of me. He was thinking of me, but he was thinking of himself and Villa rather than me going to represent my country. And I was too young to argue with him or fight with him. I, I, I didn't know. Players didn't have the power they have nowadays. So I, I just went along with it. And so I missed the trip and I missed the opportunity to get, and maybe I would have got another goal. You know, there was 10, 15 minutes left. I'd already got three. There's every chance I might have got another one. And I would have been on my own and got 30 goals. But Ron was one of these who didn't like individual players getting plaudits. You know, he was very much a team man, which is great. But if you're going to be a good team, then you're going to have some players in it who get more recognition than others, particularly goal scorers. And he never liked that. And I think it was one of the things him and I disagreed about. You know, I didn't ask for people to talk to me. But because I was scoring these amount of goals, people wanted to talk to me. And he would ask, well, why don't you want to talk to some of the other boys? And they would go, well, because they're not getting 29 goals a season. And things like that. So it was a bit like that we were on. But he took, I remember him withdrawing me from that squad. And that happened quite a lot we were on over my Scotland career. So that was a pity. And there it is. Aston Villa have won the Football League Cup for the third time. That was the year also that you won the League Cup in 77. That final was mm. played three times. Let's just get that mm -hmm. into context. It's a League Cup final 
that was played yeah. three times. It was the original game, yeah. the replay, which went to extra time, then another yeah. replay, which went to extra time as well. You paid 210 yeah. minutes of that cup final, but you didn't play in the mm. third game. Did you no. get a medal initially? Yes. I had the tankard. Yes. Yeah, I don't know why, but I, I well, it might not be straight away. I mean, I'm, I'm that old, so I might not remember that. But <laughs> I definitely got a tankard. I had they had tankers, not medals in those days. But I remember I got one, but I didn't play in the third game. No, I played in the the first two, and then I did my ankle at uh, the baseball ground in that beautifully flat pitch that was a baseball ground <laughs> nightmare, worst pitch in the world it was. But. You know, I've got, I've got the tankard. Now, whether I got it straight after that, I don't know, or whether the club had to get one for me. I'm not sure. I'm um, not sure. You left Villa just before they went on to win the European Cup. Mm. You went to Wolves. Mm. Were you irked or jealous about that? Would you, did it annoy you that they went on and won the European Cup and you weren't no. in there? Because you'd had a falling out with Ron Saunders, hadn't you? Yeah, well, it was easy to do. And and, and, and I did fall out with him because we were, we were playing in, in Europe against Barcelona. And... I missed the first gig. I was injured for the first round. We played them at Villa Park and threw 2-2. And then we were due to play them the following week at the, uh, the, the new camp. And I went in for treatment on the Sunday and it looked like I was going to make it. Now, remembering I'm arguably his best player and we've got a good chance. So I remember going the Sunday, I'm getting treatment and then comes Ron Saunders, which was very unusual. He never came in on a Sunday to see injured players. He didn't have much time for them. And I'm sitting there getting treatment. And he said to me, how is it? I said, no bad, boss. I said, I think I'll be all right. He says, no, 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 no. I need to know now. I said, what do you mean you need to know now? It's only Sunday. He says, no, I need to know now. I, I, I need you to tell me if you can play today, if it was today. I said, well, of course I couldn't play if it's today. I said, but I think I'll be all right for Wednesday. Now, if you can't tell me you're fit today, I'm not taking you. So he didn't take me. I didn't even travel. And we got beat 2-1. Now, there you go. That's how close we, we went to beating them. And then he told some reporters on the way back in the, on the plane that it was my fault because I'd let him down, I'd let the supporters down, and I'd let everybody down. So a friend, a journalist pal of mine, told me this, relayed this story to me some months later, and I went and confronted him with it. And I says, listen, you, I've played with my leg hanging off with injections in my knees, my ankles, my groins, everywhere to play for you in this club. And I said, and you call me, uh, you say I let everybody down. I say, sorry. I said, I want to transfer. I'm not playing for you again. And that was the end of our relationship, pretty much. Still to come on up front with Andy Gray, he reveals why he decided to stay at Wolves despite their relegation to the second division. The fact that we, we went down was, was, you know, a lot to do with my fault. Maybe I was at an age where I thought, hmm, maybe my best days are beyond me. You're listening to Upfront with Andy Gray on TalkSport. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Strikers are the headline makers. They're on the back pages, the front pages. I mean, your time, they're the ones, as you've already mentioned, that, that the journalists wanted to speak to. Yeah. On the TV, on the radio. How did you cope with it? I didn't... Yeah, I mean, I, I think anybody would be lying if they said they didn't like the attention. Most of the people I've spoke to and asked that question to on this programme have said, yeah, I, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they'd be lying. We'd all be lying if we say we didn't. You know, you want you want people to be talking about you. You want people to be saying what a good player he is. And I think when you score goals, you, you, it, it follows. It, I mean, I, I can't think of a goal scorer that people haven't wanted to talk about or to and how good they were or what they did well and this, that and the other. Yes, I, I enjoyed it. But I, I, was, I was very much a person with his feet on the ground. I, I, would, I would say that. I don't think I ever lost it and, and drifted away and thinking I was, this is me, I am it. No, I was very much a, a Glasgow boy. And, I, and I, I did enjoy it. Yes, of course you do. If you're scoring goals and winning football matches and you're getting all that adulation from the from the fans, Sam, I mean, I defy anyone to say that they didn't enjoy that. Um, 1979, British record as far as a transfer is concerned from Villa to Wolves 1.5 million uh, in 1980 you ended up scoring the goal that win Wolves the league cup and it's not a typical Andy Gray goal is it <laughs> yeah well it isn't a win that it was a tap in there was quite a few of them so it was quite a few Neither than Shelton got in a terrible mix and Andy Gray has the simplest of goals to put Yes, it was gift wrapped. That 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 is for sure. Strange one. It was really strange because, as you will know, that we were playing a team that was going to go on and win the European Cup. Uh, Brian Clough's Nottingham Forest. They were listen. They were better than us. Miles better than us. They had better players than we did. They were more skillful than we were. But we had something. We worked hard for each other. And amazingly, we had a guy called Emlyn Hughes, who had spent. I don't know. How many years was he at Liverpool? 10, 12? Glorious loads, years. Loads. Glorious years. Trophy-laden years at Liverpool. And the only cup trophy he had not won at Liverpool was the League Cup. And he turns up with us 
legs hanging off. His knee was worse than mine, by the way. <laughs> and both his knees. Honestly, I've never seen two, two knees like it. He he used to play with knees shot, and he would be the best player, and no one would get past him. He was amazing. I used to look at him and say, Emlyn, how can you play? Look at that. your knee. It's absolutely shot. He'd say, play as long as you can, Andy. Play as long as you can. And he, he won the League Cup with us that day. The only time he ever won it, and it wasn't with Liverpool, it was with us. It's extraordinary. And Andy Gray has scored. For a virtually horizontal position. The typical Andy Gray goal is a header, isn't it? I mean, whether it is or yeah. isn't, that's what, that, that's what we think of when, when, yes. when we think of you scoring a goal. You're not the tallest guy in the room, but you were brilliant with your head, absolutely magnificent with it. Did, is that learn or was it instinct or was it coached? It was basically self-taught, Sam. You know, as a kid, you'd go out in the, the backyard and, and these tenements and drum chapel and play uh, headers with your mates. So nobody taught you. You just learned to head the football. And I think up until I got to Dundee United, when Jim McLean taught me a few little techniques and how technically you might improve it, I, I it was self-taught. Um, but the one thing I could do was jump. I had, I had amazing, I'm about 5'11", but I had a, I, I could compete with the biggest because I could jump, I had, I had good timing and I could get off the ground. You, you stayed with Wolves even when they were relegated in 1982. Mm-hmm. Now, I think from the outside looking in, if, you, if you're, if you, if you're a, a journalist in 2020 or a young kid in 2020 uh-huh. looking back at 1982 and, and thinking, hold on, this superstar striker who was... Uh, footballer of the year, double footballer uh-huh. of the year a couple of years beforehand is a British uh, transfer record signing. He doesn't stay with a team that gets relegated. In, in any normal parlance, this guy moves on somewhere else. But was it different in 1982 or were you just loyal to Wolverhampton Wanderers for a reason? Probably because no one else wanted me, Sam, to be totally honest with you. <laughs> I had had, you know, we had had a good, uh, terrific first season. I think we finished fifth or sixth in the league. We'd won the League Cup. Um, things were looking good but if you remember then all sorts of financial problems enveloped uh, uh, Wolverhampton went in the administration um, there were various owners came and went and there was real uncertainty then and the fact that we, we went down was, was you know a lot to do with my fault never getting enough goals not scoring enough goals not contributing enough in that season it was just horrendous I don't know you know it was a strange season for us all because no one saw it coming uh, and it took everybody by surprise. And I, listen, I, I was maybe I was at an age where I thought mm, maybe my best days are beyond me. And as I said to you, I was never the most self-confident player. I, I didn't walk about saying I'm the best. And maybe I just thought, well, this is it. So let's play a part and try to get this team back up again, which I did do. But you know, it wasn't a case of loyalty. It was it was a case of uh, listen. I was fairly happy at Wolves with the boys that were there. I enjoyed the lads that were there. But I stayed there because, I, I'm guessing, because no one wanted me. And maybe most people thought that maybe the best days were behind me. And at that time, I could not have argued with that. They weren't, and we'll get to Everton in the last part of the programme. But after the spell at Goodison part that you had, and obviously won trophies again, you went back to Aston Villa. And it didn't really work out, did it? Why, why was that? Was it, again, a, a combination of team and coaches or was it that you weren't at your best what was the situation I think you've been too kind to me to say it never quite worked out <laughs> it's because you're my mate <laughs> what you meant to say was 
it was a shambles, Andy, and it was shocking, and you should never have gone back. That's what you meant to say, didn't you? <laughs> You're putting words in my mouth now. <laughs> uh, Sam, it was a disaster. It was an absolute disaster. And, you know, I, I went back there, and in and, and hindsight, I shouldn't have done, especially when you're 10 years older than when you arrived there in the first place, and you're a totally different person. And lots of people remember you as you were and not as you are and had, you know, seen the years I had at, um, at Goodison. But it wasn't just me. It wasn't a great club. There was, there was managers were coming and going. Um, players were coming and going. The, the, the club was all over the place. And I went back for three reasons, Sam. I went back because it was Villa. I went back because Doug Ellis came and found me on holiday and, and asked me if I would go back. And the third and most important reason why I went back was because Howard came in and, and told me in the pre-season, close season, that he was going to buy someone else. So that kind of made my mind up. Could you have gone abroad at any stage? I mean, I know there was a sort of talk at some stage you were going to go to Manchester United or Manchester United were interested in you. Was there any moves that didn't quite work out that might have done? Well, twice I could have gone abroad. When I was leaving Dundee United, Schalke um, wow. made an approach for me way back then. A guy, a goalkeeper, you won't remember him. He used to play for Rangers. He was a goalkeeper called Jerry Neef. And he called me and said he was working for Schalke and would I be interested in thinking about coming to Germany. But when I was, when you're 19, and the, as I said to you, the most natural progression for a Scot when he's 19, way back then, was England. And I had all my, all my sights set in England and I'd quickly dismissed it. The only other time was when I was leaving Everton. When I said to you I was in Portugal on holiday, that summer after Howard had said he was buying someone else and Doug Ellis had come to see me and uh, just before that the PSV Eindhoven had flown over um, with their jet and came to see me and where I was staying and asked me if I would be interested in joining them and going to Holland. I had a young family at the time and thought that would have been the wrong thing to do and I actually thought it was it was too late in my career to do that and therefore I politely turned him down. And if I'm not mistaken, it might have been the PSV that had Mr. Rud Hullet in it at the time. <laughs> so Rud missed the opportunity of playing with me. <laughs> well played. Reach cross Gray. What a fantastic goal. In November 1983, you went to Everton for a quarter of a million pounds, just before your 28th birthday. Um, mm -hmm. What was your goal on hearing of their interest? I'll tell you what my feeling was, relief, because, again, Wolves were in real trouble. Uh, we was, looked like they were going down again. I think they did go down again that year. And the club was in turmoil, went into administration. And when I heard that, They'd accepted an offer from Everton. I, I couldn't get up there, um, if I'm being honest, quick enough, Sam, to meet Howard and have a chat with him. I wanted to change. I needed a change of scenery. I needed to find out if I could still play. That was the, best, that was the biggest thing in my mind. That was my goal. I wanted to find out if, if Andy Gray was finished or whether there was still some life in him. And the only way I could find out was if, I, if, if someone gave me an opportunity again. And Howard did that. I didn't know the, the level of the player I was going to join, 
um, because Everton themselves were struggling a little bit at that time. So it was a kind of, let's find out whether I can still do it and let's find out what kind of team I'm joining. But I remember the first day when I talked to a few of the reporters and they said, what, what, why, why are you here? And I said, and I, I don't know why I said it, but maybe I said it because that's how I felt and I don't know. I remember saying, well, I've come here to win things. And they kind of looked at me and laughed at me a little bit because Everton were struggling themselves. We've heard that before and I went, but you haven't heard it from me. So I just kind of left it at that. I didn't know what else to say, Sam. And it was, it might have sounded arrogant, but it, you know me, you know me as well as anyone. It's, it, it wasn't arrogance, trust me. It was, it was, I just hope I can play again. Looking in quite a good cross there. Oh, Andy Gray! And he's given! It came out of Sherwood's hands, and Andy Gray has forced it home to put Everton 2 into the lead. You were the FA Cup winners in 1984. You scored. Yeah. In the final, uh, you beat yeah. Elton John and Graham Taylor's Watford. What, what were your memories of that day? And did you start to realise then that this was actually a very good team that you were about to play in or uh, that you had joined? I think from the January that year, we began to, to click for whatever reason. Howard had found a team, um, keen team with two old buffers, me and Reedy, who, who were good, the right kind. What I remember about that final, I'll tell you what I remember about that final, Sam, was the build-up. Because Reedy and I were kind of the old heads, you know, we were the only two, I think. Well, I certainly, I think I might have been the only one who'd ever been to Wembley. I don't even think Reedy had been to Wembley. But all our boys, as soon as we beat Southampton in the semi-final, in the build-up when you're getting interviewed, I'm listening to a couple of the boys' interviews and they're going, well, what about Watford? They're, all, they're going, Watford? I haven't got a chance. We'll batter them. Game's already won. Might as well not play it. We're winning this easy. <laughs> I kept saying, boys, come on, just take it easy. You just don't know. Just say it's going to be a hard game. You know, we respect them. They're a good side. We're going to have to play well to win. All the usuals cliches, trot them all out, trot them all out, the boys are going, no, that's not true, we're going to beat them Andy, it's as simple as that, they can't beat us, <laughs> I'm like that, oh no, so I knew then that these boys were, were, were pretty special and, and were going to be growing up the right way. The goal you scored in the cup final, would it... Beautiful header, beautiful header, <laughs> what, what, yes, what, you what, remember it well. What, what would VAR have said about that? VAR would have looked at it, said, perfectly good goal, Goalkeeper had never had total control of the football. Mr. Gray made no contact with Mr. Sherwood and therefore the goal should stand. Or they could have said foul. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, it wasn't a foul in 1984. So you ended up winning the FA Cup and the following year you won the league with Everton and the Cup Winners' Cup as well. Um, mm. You mentioned that there was a special group of players. What was the key to the success? Was it Howard Kendall's blend that he managed to bring into the team? Was it was it was it the fact that you just had absolutely excellent players that actually went on to play for for England and probably would have done yeah. a lot more besides if it, mm. if they hadn't been split up after uh, English clubs were banned from Europe? Yeah, it was a horrible ban for for Everton at the time when they've had their, arguably the best the boys in the sixties might argue. You know, Howard's side of Harvey Kendall and Ball might argue they were the best ever side ever. But we're, we've certainly got a case for that. And it was a tragedy that that, that team never got an opportunity to, to, to conquer Europe in the way, way it might have done. What was, it, what was the secret? I'll tell you what the secret was. Unity. Because we went that extra yard for our mate. We looked after each other. Liverpool, the great Liverpool side of the, the, the mid-70s and 80s, they looked after each other, Sam. You look at look at Arsenal, the great side, the Invincibles. They looked after each other. Manchester United, great sides, Fergie put together. They looked after each other. We 
looked after each other. We had bosses on the pitch. We had leaders on the pitch. But you're right, you need more than that. And we had some of the most talented footballers I've ever played with. Trevor Stephen, Kevin Sheedy, unbelievable players. Graham Sharp, wonderful strike partner. Neville Southall, the best goalkeeper in the world, bar none at that time, bar none. You know, Gary Stevens, what, fullback in the modern day, he'd have been right up there. Pat Vandenhoe, oh my goodness, wouldn't like to play against him too often, but what a player. Paul Bracewell and Reedy in the middle of midfield. I mean, I could go on, I've nearly done them all, two centre-backs. I mean, we had the quickest back four in the world, I think, then. They were so quick, they were like lightning. It was just, and but we looked after each other, Sam. When he told you that he was buying somebody else, how did you feel about it? I mean, because you speak to Gary about it, and it was Gary Lineker that, that they bought in after you. Correct. He says he said the hardest thing was actually the first few weeks when he realised, hold on a second, these supporters love Andy Gray, and I've come in and nicked his shirt. And he knew he had to step up because of the feeling that, that, that they had for you. Did you have a similar sort of feeling for the club, and were you very disappointed to leave? I wasn't disappointed. I was devastated. I was devastated. Did I have a similar feeling? Yep. I wrote an open letter to the, the Echo and they put, they printed it for me, which was fantastic um, because I'd had petition after petition, letter after letter. Honestly, Sam, a sack full of mail from Evertonians that uh, I'll, I'll never forget and have still tucked away somewhere that I'll keep and let my, my kids have and they can see it. Things like, you know, one supporter wrote, to wrote you know, I, I can't believe we sold Andy. It's unbelievable. You know what? I love him that much that if I came home one night and I found Andy in bed with my missus, I'd tuck him in, make sure he never caught a cold. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, was the kind of, that was the kind of thing. But we did. We had a fantastic relationship because I wasn't the best player at Everton by any stretch of the imagination. We were near it. But fans have always been able to look at me and relate to me. I was a fan, lucky enough to pull on a jersey. Now, that ain't bad to be able to do that. And, uh, and I think they, they, they realised that. And I liked winning. I hated losing Sam. And maybe that helped me through my life. Because as I said, I wasn't, the, I wasn't the best player. But I hated losing. I, I had an ability to score goals. I could get players going. And I could help players. And, uh, and I made the most of what I had. But I was devastated when Howard said that... He didn't say you're going... He just said, I'm signing Gary. And I'll be playing Gary and, and Graham at the start of the season. I just said, listen, if that's the case, then I, I can't play reserve team football, not after the season we've just had. In hindsight, I, I acted hastily. And I should have taken time out to say, you know what? Okay, I'm 29, 30 now, I probably was coming up for 30. I love the club that much and the guys here that much. Maybe I'll stay and help in whatever way I can. But I didn't. I reacted quickly. I told Howard I'd go. He said to me, I'm going to get battered. I said, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. So, uh, devastated, but, um, you know, that, that that's football. I mean, time, there comes a time in your life where younger players are coming in and they're better than you. And no matter how much your head says you still think you can do it, your body's a little older and a little less likely to be able to, to, to carry it off. So, Howard decided rightfully in his mind, and I've not got an argument with him, that he needed to keep the team progressing and move on. And he had a chance to buy one of the best goal scorers in English football. Why would he turn that chance down? So the last thing we do on these programmes is, is we, we ask 
our centre forwards, how well they know themselves. We we asked them three questions about their career. It's called the oh, perfect hat trick. Yeah. <laughs> They're easy questions, and I'm sure you'll you'll fly through them. There won't be any problems at all. First of all, then, which two Nottingham Forest players collided in the 1980 League Cup final uh, to hand Need you? To I didn't even I didn't even get to the end of the question, <laughs> and you were there. I make it more tricky. Yes. Um, okay, you won the PFA Players Player of the Year in uh, 1977. You won the PFA Young Player of the Year at the same time. But who won the FWA Footballer of the Year? Wow! It was um, eventually a teammate of yours. Was he? Yeah. God, you got me. Football writers. He was a crazy horse. Ball back for Hughes. What a goal! They do not come better. Oh, Emlyn. Was it Emlyn? Emlyn Hughes, yeah. Was Emlyn? Oh, crazy horse gave it away. You were too kind there. No, I'd never got I was going to say, is it a Liverpool player? But then I couldn't yeah. think of any Liverpool players I'd played with. But then I've just spoken about Emlyn for about 20 minutes. <laughs> um, you played for Rangers later in your career under yep. Graham Sooness. So you were part of the mm-hmm. team that won the first of nine titles in a mm-hmm. row. You had a big role in the dressing room there, didn't you? Um, mm-hmm. Who did you score your first goal for your boyhood club against? St Mirren. 29th of October 1988, away from home. Look at that. 1-1. One, 1-1, one. One, one, last minute equaliser. Important point that was in our, in our travels, yeah. Header. It was a, surprisingly, it was a header, Sam. From <laughs> Would you believe from a Mark Walters cross. Ah. My ex-fella teammate as well. Or, there you go. As he was known as when he was in Scotland, Mark Muckwalters, I think. <laughs> yes it's funny because Kevin Drinkle you see was playing for us that year as well mm. and we wouldn't call him Kevin because it was kind of posh name so they nicknamed him Billy Drinkle and and it was the same with Nigel Spackman if you ask Spackers what was his name when he played for Rangers it wasn't Nigel he was called Rab so he was Rab Spackman and Kevin Drinkle was Billy Drinkle <laughs> hey listen you've got to acclimatise somehow you've got to acclimatise somehow you have. It was. It's been great talking to you. Thank you very much for doing it for us. Uh, we really appreciate Pleasure, it. Good to talk to you, Sam. Thank you. You've been listening to Upfront with Andy Gray and me, Sam Matterface. And if you missed any of the show or want to catch up on previous episodes from the series, you can download the podcast from the TalkSport Game Day feed via the TalkSport app. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.